This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tim White. If you want to turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles today and you want to jump into Acts chapter 2, I think uh, they've got some of the verses uh, on a pamphlet for you. And then I think they're going to have them on the screen as well. And this was actually a message that I gave last month at our church. And um, I just kind of thought, man, what a, a good time at the beginning of the year to spend a little bit of time going back to the basics and keeping the vision uh, in front of us and being focused on why we exist as a church and what we're doing here in this community. You know, for, for us, I think that it, with our church, it's easy for the vision and the mission to kind of slip a little bit and for things to get cloudy sometimes. And I think there's always a value to just kind of go back and revisit some of these things. And man, I was jumping into Acts chapter 2 and just kind of doing a deep dive into it. And there were some things that really stuck out to me that, that really just kind of hit home for me. And I thought, man, it was, it was relevant for our church at the time. And I figured I would, you know, give it to you guys here as well too. But, you know, I think that you know, in my position, I look a lot at our systems. I look a lot at the things that we're doing as a church, our staffing. We have a lot of staff um, at our church. We have 50-some people on staff. And so there's a lot that's constantly going on. And one of the things that I'm always listening for is kind of like the heartbeat of our church. And what are our volunteers and people that are volunteering with us? How are they? What's coming out of their mouth? What's coming out of our staff's mouth? And like to me, that kind of stuff's important because a lot of people can reach burnout. A lot of times a church or a business or, or a sports team or whatever can kind of get off course a little bit and you can kind of forget why you're doing what you're doing. I literally, right before I had given this message at our church, I was talking with a friend of mine. He's a VP at, with a big construction company up there. And he was like, honestly, he's like, I was with a much larger company and I left that to go to the smaller company, which it's still massive. So I was like, oh, this, is, this one's smaller. So, but he's like, the culture of it was completely different. The culture of just the, how many of y'all have been just at like a job before maybe that was a little toxic? Still, still, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's very easy for that kind of stuff to happen. And sometimes you can be miserable. It's like in his case, he was gladly willing to take a little bit of a pay cut to be in a much better environment for himself and just peace of mind. And I think the culture of our church matters and how we are, are bringing people in, you know, in our community and how we are representing in our community. And so I wanted to talk a little bit of that in Acts 2, you know, if you don't jump into the word a lot or whatever, here's where, you know, for context with things, you see like here, okay, this is the, the resurrected Jesus just ascends into heaven. Now, all of a sudden, the apostles are going out and they are preaching the word. They're calling it the way. And what happens is, is they are talking about this man, Jesus. They are talking about the relevance. The Holy Spirit comes down. He starts to move through the apostles and he's, he's showing, he's um, um, doing you know, signs and wonders and different things like that through the apostles. And so thousands of people are starting to convert over. They're starting to follow this message here that, that, uh, you know, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what happens in verse 42 is where we're going to start is you start to see the very first congregating of the early church. And this is where they all start to kind of come together. They start to organize. And you see in verse 42, I'm going to break some of these verses down for you as we go through it. 
But it just said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So what you see here with this verse, first off, is you see there's the four main components right there of the church. You, you see them again. It's, it's, they're steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. I think sometimes as a church, we can get so, I know for our church, it, there are constantly events going on. There's constantly different things happening. People are constantly asking us, hey, can we do this here at your church or whatever? And it's like, man, for us, we try to make sure that we are stay, keeping the main thing the main thing and staying on mission and focused as a church. Verse 43, it says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. See, here's a Holy Spirit authentication, authentication here that, that, man, the Holy Spirit is moving through these people that's saying, hey, there is, there is something to this. This is the real deal. The, this guy, Jesus, is God in the flesh. And so this is what I loved. I started reading verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. To me, that was like, here's some unity that here's a coming together of people, lives are being changed, and there's a unity that starts to happen here as a byproduct of it. You know, I will say that the gospel definitely divides and separates people a little bit. There are definitely people that are just not going to choose to follow Jesus. They are not going to choose to come up under the authority of Scripture and all that kind of stuff, and that's okay. But there should be a unity, there should be a coming together of the brotherhood and the sisterhood within the body of believers. And so, uh, verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So, I love this, is that this is not a plea for socialism today. That I, I heard a, a statement from a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago. He says, I read the Bible, and um, he said, Jesus was the ultimate socialist. I'm going to be like, that, that was probably one of the most ignorant things that I've ever heard come out of somebody's mouth. You completely aren't even understanding anything with that, these uh, pieces of Scripture and all that kind of stuff. But this is not a plea towards socialism. This is a, a plea towards holding the possessions that God has given us lightly and understanding that it's God-given. It's not ours. So many people put all their worth and their value into stuff. And really what ends up happening is, is it's empty. At the end of the day, you feel like you're going to achieve this certain thing. You achieve it, and then it doesn't continue to fulfill you, right? So there's that, I love that, there's that song, there's that God-shaped hole in all of us. And that's, that's the, really the only thing at the end of the day that can really fill us up and give us ultimate satisfaction. But this is just a moving quickly to meet the needs with people in the body. Verse 46, and they continued daily. This was like my warm and fuzzy verse. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Man, what I, I, to me it was just like there's a draw in the early church. There's this magnetism that's getting created here. I don't know, have, have any of you guys seen like on social media just recently this whole Asbury, Kentucky revival that's going on? What, you know what's amazing about it is that people hear about it, there's a buzz that gets created about it, and people start talking about it, and then now all of a sudden it's like thousands of people are driving from state to state to state just to get to, just to get in the room, just to get in the room. And, you know, that's, that's what, man, when the Holy Spirit starts to move in your life, when the Holy Spirit starts to move in a body of believers, in a congregation, that's what it does in a community. 
it creates a draw, it creates a pull that people just want to be a part. 47, the last verse, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their church daily such as should be saved. And just having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily as a byproduct of it. I love that. So powerful little section of verses there. There's such a pull. Who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? But I think that inevitably what happens is sometimes with churches, you know, we can get a little cold. We can get a little clicky, you know, and all those types of things can be so dangerous to slip into. And the moment that we get out of the, the fact that we're remembering that, man, we want to see new people coming through these doors. We want to see people that are hurting. We want to see people that maybe their marriages are, are on the rocks and ending, uh, people that are struggling with addictions or whatever. The answer for them is Jesus. It's not to continue to keep you know, going down this rabbit hole that's not working. So um, to be a welcoming place, I always like to think of personal like, you know, analogies with, with my life and everything. When I was growing up, uh, I, had, um, I lived in Manassas. Has anybody heard of Manassas from Northern Virginia? So I, I spent the majority of my time in Manassas. My grandfather started a church that was called Bethlehem Baptist Church in Fairfax. Okay, So I went to school there, kind of like what Buford Road is here. I, I, you know, we had the same kind of, same kind of vibe, a, a Christian academy there as well, too. I graduated from there. So as I was growing up, that meant basically everybody that I knew that I was friends with was about 30 to 40 minutes away from me. So I had nobody that I really knew and connected with in my neighborhood. And I was a quiet kid, very shy. Um, I'm very loudmouthed and opinionated now. I don't know what happened, you know. But um, the, the, the funny thing was, it's like I would have never had the confidence to go up to anybody and just introduce myself or whatever. So one day, um, so and to give you a little bit of context, it was just me. Like, so it was just me in the house. My brother is actually 15 years older than me. So it's just my brother and I. And so he already had kids. He already was living his life, doing his thing uh, at this time. So I didn't know anybody. And this kid comes down one day. I was playing basketball in my driveway. And he comes down and introduces himself and asks if he could play. I was like, yes, absolutely. This would be great. So he comes uh, for a couple days consecutively and we're building this relationship. And one of the last days, he was like, it's been so good getting to know you. But my family's moving to Colorado next week. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But that's like Northern Virginia. You know, everybody's like coming in and out all the time with stuff. So um, I'm bummed. I'm ticked off. I'm like, I just met you. He's like, well, let me introduce you to my friend Jeff. So he introduces me to a guy named Jeff Owens. And little did I know that Jeff... That, that relationship and that friendship was going to shape me and going to really shape the course of my life. Um, I started hanging out at Jeff's house. So again, our house, very quiet. It was just me and it was uh, my parents. My parents didn't have a lot of people over. And so I was like, man, I want to go over to my friend Jeff's house, hang out over there. So the Owens's house, they had three boys. They all were at the local public schools and they all played in like every sport. They were like super involved with everything. So their house was like the complete opposite of my house. It was busy. It was bumping all the time. Something was happening at that house. And so I started to go over there on a consistent basis. And one day, uh, Tom, the dad, comes up to me and he's like, Tim, every time you come over, I have to get up out of my chair. I have to come to the door. I have to open the door up for you. I've had a long day at work. I don't want to get up out of my chair anymore. He's like, would you just come in our house? Don't not, just, just come in the house. 
I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. You've got to be kidding me. I can't just come in your house. He's like, oh, yeah, you can come in my house because it's my house, and I'm telling you to come in my house. And if I have to keep getting up out of my chair for you, I'm going to be angry. I was like, all right, yes, sir, yes, sir. So I start basically, what, what they basically were saying to me was like, dude, we trust you. We, you're welcome here. You're part of the family. Just come on in. Be a part of what's going on here. And to me, it was like to, to walk into this family, this shy kid, whatever, and to walk into this household and to be welcomed in, it made all the difference in the world for me as like a sixth grader, seventh grader, you know, as I was growing up. And they had a house that was just open for kids. Like nothing was off limits. Like you could go anywhere, do anything, whatever. It was just made for kids. Everybody was welcome. And as a byproduct of it, everybody wanted to hang out at the Owens's house. It was just a draw for so many kids. And the Owens's basement was like just a fun place. It was an unfinished, finished basement. You know, they had couches down there or whatever. They had literally the ugliest pool table in the world. I mean, stains all over it. The bumpers didn't even work anymore. Some of the funnest times of my life was playing pool on the Owens's pool table. You know what? Nothing was off limits. Don't touch this or whatever. There wasn't that kind of vibe there. It was just open. It was welcome. And it made all the difference in the world. Ultimately, they had tons of musical instruments sitting down there. And that's where I started picking up the guitar. I started playing. And that's what led to me being all into music and the whole deal. That's how I met Brian. And then I met Crystal, who had become my wife. We got married right on the stage here. I think it was red carpet or burgundy carpet at the time. It's not blue, this new blue that's going on. So, man, it, it really shaped the course of my life. And I know this is personal opinion, so hang with me here. Don't be mad at me. But it's like I sit back and I kind of am like, that's kind of, I feel like that's how the church needs to be. The church needs to be that. So many people walk into a church they are so terrified. You know, to walk into something that's completely foreign with all these preconceived notions, man, it's a challenge to kind of get over yourself to walk into a place. And when you can walk into a place that's, that's open, that's accept, that's bringing people in, that doesn't mean we get away from the truth and preaching the gospel and preaching the word and standing firm on truth. But at the same time, to be able to be a place that people feel like, man, they can come and just pull down that armor and let their armor off and just be who they are, man. What, a, what an amazing, amazing place. Uh, and I really do believe that God can start to move. And I, I, Debbie, I'm sorry to keep picking on you, but um, Debbie had said the same thing. She was like, you know what? She's like, I went to a different church before I started coming here. And she goes, I came here and the vibe was just completely different. Everybody at the other church never talked to me. It was always so quiet. It was just, it was stiff. It, I didn't feel welcomed. I didn't feel at home. And you know, contrasting coming here, that's why they decided to, to come and to, to stick here. So to be a church that's obviously focused on the word, focused on fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes we all have great intentions, but at the same time, we can become victims of our own flesh. I always say anytime you put a group of people together, there's going to be some tension, there's going to be some disagreements. That's just who we are. That's, that's how we are. It's okay. It's okay to be different. It's okay to have differences and not agree on everything all the time. There are certain personalities, I know it as soon as I talk with them, I'm like, oh, that I don't mesh well with. So, it, it, But it's okay. It doesn't mean I don't love those people. It doesn't mean that, man, the Lord didn't die for them as well. You know, man, they're, they're amazing people that God absolutely loves. And so sometimes, though, 
and this is just, I'm, I'm victim of this. It's like, as churches, we can get on the gossip train. Sometimes as churches, like we're the first to chew up our own people. It's like nobody anywhere would ever do something like that. But, at the, it, but it's just, sometimes it's our flesh. I say to our church, stay away from the three C's. The three C's are criticizing, complaining, and condemning. <laughs> criticizing, complaining, condemning. I always just say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So when the, the Holy Spirit is, is within you and filling you up as a byproduct, man, it, it does nothing but just spill out into other people. And I will tell you this, there is always going to be something that you can find fault with. There's always going to, I would be more worried and concerned if everything seemed too perfect. You know, that would be a red flag for me. So there's always going to be something that you can point fault to, but there's always something on the opposite side as well, too, that you can point to um, on, the, on the positive side of things. But to be a place that's welcoming, you know, um, my brother talks about this a lot at our church. Is he says that, you know, Starbucks, a long time ago, they set out, they, they noticed that People have work and they have home. And typically, people have a third place that they like to go to, that they hang out with, or that they frequent on a regular basis. And Starbucks set out a long time ago to be that third place. And my brother always says, we need to, as a church, strive to be that third place where people have the desire to want to come to church and to be in church and all that stuff. It's so easy to get off focus, though. So many people, so many organizations do it. You know, a long time ago, I went into a guitar shop in our local area. And honestly, like, I was leading worship at our church at the time. And so I was playing on all these very cheap, like, guitars. And I was like, well, I need to, like, you know maybe step it up a little bit and get something that's a little bit more professional, right? So I had saved up about 2,000 bucks, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to a guitar shop and buy me something nice, okay? So I left all my cash at home, all right, because I can tend to be a little bit of an impulse purchaser. Anybody in here, like, yeah, a little, little emotional about things sometimes? So sometimes I have to separate myself from, you know, from things. So um, put extra hurdles in uh, for me to, to jump over. But I go into the guitar shop and I ask to play one of the, you know, the coveted instruments behind like the glass counter kind of deal. So the guys are like, okay, sit down. I'm like, okay, I'll sit down. And it's not like I'm a kid here. Like I'm like in my early thirties. Like it's like, I'm an adult coming in to like buy an instrument. I'm not coming in to goof off with their, their stuff. So they're like, sit down. I'm like, all right. So he then places the guitar in my lap. He's like, watch your buttons, watch your, your zipper, all this. Don't scratch it. I'm like, okay, all right. So he plugs it in for me, turns the amp on, and then he walks back behind the counter and just stares at me with the other sales guy. So that would be okay if it was like the counter was back where the, the sound booth is and stuff. But he was like right here. So he's just staring at me. And I'm, so I'm like, strumming I keep looking at him I'm so uncomfortable it was so I'm like this is weird what is happening right now it was like an outer body experience or something and so I was like well what I'll do is I'll just um you know give him back the guitar because this is bizarre and I'm not dealing with this anymore walked up to give him the guitar I I really did have full intention on buying it it was going to go back grab the money and come back as I'm handing the guy the guitar he he grabs the guitar for me and um, responds to the other sales guy. He goes, see, I told you he wasn't going to buy it. 
I'm like, well, now I'm definitely not going to buy it. Like, what kind of a comment is that? And I left, I left, you know, out of there, obviously a little perturbed, a little angry. Like, what's the whole point of having a guitar shop? Is the, is the point to come in and just look at everything? Or is the point to actually sell something, you know? And of course, are they in business now? No, they're not in business anymore. You know, it's, it's the subtle decline. Again, it's like, it's getting back to, hey, why are we in business? Well, we're in business to sell guitars. Let's get guitars in people's hands and let's get them out the door, right? Um, I just, I, it's my heart to just be a, a church and a congregation, you know, uh, that's just constantly, that's building up, that's encouraging, uh, that's pouring into. And especially for me, I love that, that 18 to 30-year-old generation, the, the 18 to 30, I don't know if you guys know this or not. I saw a stat that I, I don't really believe too much in, in some of these things sometimes. Sometimes I think they're a little flawed with uh, their, uh, you know, results. But I saw a stat a couple of months ago that said, right now, the 18 to 30-year-old demographic is leaving the church at the highest rate that it's ever left, ever. They said that, if things continue to stay in that direction, that Christianity will be amongst the minority religions in the next five to 10 years. Amongst the minority of religions. Now, I personally believe that some of this stuff kind of swings like a pendulum, you know, like politics kind of swings like a pendulum. Sometimes it's left, sometimes it's right, and it goes back and forth a lot of times. And I, I do believe that we're already seeing just evidence of revival and different things like that that's starting to crop up. Because honestly, again, going back to kind of what I said earlier, it's like, how long can you define your own truth before you're just absolutely miserable? People are going to be craving and starving for the actual truth and for somebody to actually ground them on something. And so, man, I just wanted to encourage you guys as a church. I would love to see that there's, there's people that are pouring into the next generation coming out of this church and that we see that this, this 18 to 30-year-old demographic of people, man, we want to see them stepping up. We want to see them stepping up to lead. We want to see them stepping up and, man, letting them fail a little bit because that's how we learn. That's how we grow, you know? I always look for... Um, younger people at our church that's kind of coming through that have a passion for it to get them on board and to get them doing things and to give them some leadership roles and to see how they, they start to, to blossom and develop. So I just wanted to encourage you again to, man, to constantly be a church that's reaching out, that gets the mission, that gets the cause, that there are people that are just struggling, struggling today. I cannot tell you, I could literally, I should have prepared some of this stuff, but I could go on story after story after story of people who have just absolutely struggled in their life, and the church has completely turned their world around. So yeah, so that's kind of a first part, and then I'm going to finish up here with um, just a quick little encouragement. We're still kind of at the beginning of 2023. I did um, this similar, uh, you know, same message or whatever again at our church and, and did the same stuff here, talked a little bit about our testimony. But, um, you know, I have, we have a lot of people in our circle uh, this last year in 2022 that really struggled this last year. They really had some tough times, some tough challenges. We have some friends that they suffered 
I mean, tremendous, tremendous amounts of loss in their life. And it's like, whew, it's, it's emotional even thinking about it um, myself. So forgive me if I get emotional with some of this. I'm kind of a sap. So uh, anyway, that's why I've got some water, because it helps curb the, the tears sometimes. You know, for, for Crystal and I, I don't know how much the, the cahoots or Pastor Tony, it, it's so weird for me to call him Pastor Tony, like so, uh, Pastor Tony. It's so weird. <laughs> it is, it's so strange for me. Yeah, d- Dad. I, yeah, I don't, I've never called him Dad either. I've always called him Mr. Kahoot. I don't, I don't know why. I just, I stuck with that. I just thought, Dad, I was like, he's not going to want me to call him Dad. He's going to be like, stop calling me Dad. I'm not your dad. So, um, sorry, sometimes I'm too transparent, I guess, with stuff. But I don't know how much they've talked about us over the last year, but basically, um, you know, we have four kids now, and so we have, we have three kids that are all kind of batched together. We got a 14, 12, and a nine-year-old, and then a six-month-old now. So it's like there, there's, a, there's been a, a little family dynamic and a little family shift that's happened here this year, and man, we are so just blessed. We are just so thankful for our little girl. She's six months old this month, and uh, she's amazing, you know, but one year ago, we found out that we were going to have a little girl, but we didn't realize on blood tests, they have other things that they're testing for, and so we saw that there would be a possibility for a trisomy 21 or Down syndrome diagnosis, and so for us, man, we were immediately, I can't even begin to tell you, like, for us, it was just a heavy time. We, there was a lot of unknowns, and there was just a lot of fear that was going on, and for us, it was, it was great to go to church. It was like an outer body experience. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been through a situation in your life where it's like there's something dominating your thoughts all day long. It's like the first thing that you think about when you wake up, it's the last thing that you think. All you want to do is sleep because it's like the only amount of relief that you're actually going to get, that your brain is just going to relax a little bit. That's kind of the way I felt, and we didn't say a word about it. We didn't want to talk about it or any of that kind of stuff, just simply because we didn't know, and we opted to not do that amniocentesis test or whatever just because of different things, but so they said, hey, what we want you to do is we want you to go down to UVA uh, for some additional scans, and so we're like, all right, we'll, we'll do this, and we're hoping here that through this time, like, we're going to get some kind of, like, answer to things and all of that kind of stuff and you know so we're like sneaking down to UVA not telling a soul and this whole deal and just like hoping that we're going to get some kind of like closure that we're going to be able to kind of look towards as we move forward and it's like they're not we're not getting it you know they they do some scans and they're like well we're not really seeing anything maybe it's this but maybe not you know and so we left just feeling the same. And there was just this heaviness and just this fear because it was just an unknown of what is going to happen. God, what, what are you doing here right now? We went back for another scan um, later. They cleared us to be able to have, um, have her at just a regular hospital because sometimes kids with Down syndrome have to go straight into surgery and have heart surgery and stuff like that. She, was, um, uh, she didn't have to do that or whatever. So um, for us, you know, she was born in August and it was confirmed she had Down syndrome. And so we were like, I mean, so thankful, but also so fearful because we didn't know what the future, this was a new thing for us. Like this was obviously completely new. And so 
we are trying to navigate this and I'm the guy that's like, I'm going to be over-prepared. I'm like attacking this, like, and we're going to figure all these pieces out, have everything squared away. And I'm obsessing over it. I'm literally getting to the point where I'm obsessing over it. And um, I don't know if the cahoots had said that, you know, we went into the hospital. She, she had RSV, so she had to go to Johns Hopkins, was there for over a week. That was lovely. Uh, Johns Hopkins is amazing, though, by the way. Wow, very incredible hospital. They're absolutely amazing. Um, we had a, a small little heart procedure for her right after Christmas, and she's amazing. Everything went great. But you know what I started to do is I started to get to a point where I was obsessing about every little thing. And I'm like trying to watch like developmental markers. I have friends that have babies just around us and I'm watching every piece of everything. And it's like this basically like 10 months of just this heaviness, this weight that I'm carrying. And all of a sudden I just felt like God lifted it immediately. Oh, I was so grateful for it. I felt like God was just saying, Tim, stop. Why are you obsessing over this stuff? This is so silly. Just enjoy your baby girl, you know? I've got it. I've got this, you know? And man, whew, it was like the ultimate relief. And I'll get over it soon. Forgive me. Ah, oh, man. It was just peace. It was just peace. You know, and so I, I wanted to basically just say to you guys this, that man, if 2022 was a heavy year for you and you struggled, don't carry those, those fears, don't carry that struggle, don't carry that burden into a new year with the expectation of the same thing. Man, God's already taken care of it. I know it's hard when you're going through the valley to actually trust. Like, that's hard. That's really hard, you know. But I just want to encourage you to hang on. Hang on. Don't pull away from church. Don't pull away from a fellowship, okay? Stay, stay plugged in tight. And the only thing that I, I started reading in Acts 8, and I was like, man, I was just reminded that line of that song, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You guys heard that song, that worship song? You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Man, that's how the, the Lord works sometimes in just some crazy ways. And I was reading in Acts 8 and I was blown away because I would have typically read through this and it would have been very surfacey. Um, but I really dove in and studied on it and man, just God just blew my mind. It said, and Saul was consenting unto his death. This is Saul who would later become the Apostle Paul. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women committed them to prison. So right now, what, what Saul, the Apostle Paul, future Apostle Paul is doing is running around and through fear trying to squash out the gospel being spread um, amongst the towns there. 
But what does it say in verse 4? Therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Sometimes you can take one of the most darkest things. Here Paul, or Saul at the time, trying to stop the spread of the gospel message. And really unknowingly, what did he do? He only grew it that much faster. He took water and tried to put out a grease fire with it. Don't ever do that, by the way. That's not a good thing to do. Unknowingly, he only created the first evangelists and missionaries to come out of the church. They spread to different regions immediately beginning to pray, or beginning to give the gospel over to people and, begin to, and began to change the, the regions as a byproduct of it. I guarantee if he knew what he was doing, he would have completely changed his tactics. But again, it's like sometimes you can go through something so dark or so discouraging sometimes in your life, but man, you just never know. Like the God of the universe is going to use it and he's going to turn it all around for you. So I just wanted to encourage you here today to, man, just stay faithful. Remain faithful in the Lord um, as, as challenging and as trying as it sometimes is or whatever. And it is so worth it. It is so worth it. You listen to Pastor Tim White. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.